Hey everybody, welcome to the New Strength Podcast, episode one. We don't know where this train is going, but it has just left the station. Here we go. Hi guys, welcome to the New Strength Podcast, where we talk about everything lean, fit, and inspired for a life of passion and purpose. So, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, please show your support by leaving our little review here at iTunes. That would be awesome. It really helps us out. And if you do, I'll be sure to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. So let's just jump right in. Today, my guest is the organizational alchemist, Joseph Flayhef. Welcome to the podcast, Joseph. Thank you very much. Love to be here. So Joseph is a leadership consultant, coach, and author of Being Agile in a Waterfall World. Joseph's clients have seen up to a 1,200% improvement in speed to market a radical improvement in delivery predictability, saved tens of millions of dollars, and seen up to a 266% increase in organizational capacity, all while reducing overhead, improving transparency, and dramatically increasing employee engagement. But Joseph's overriding mission is to bring hope and joy to the workplace, which sounds pretty awesome to me. That's about the 10,000-foot view right off of LinkedIn. So we're in a podcast, and we want to know really what's going on in Joseph's mind. So Hey, Joseph, so why don't you take it from there? Let's hear, first of all, if you don't mind, a little bit about you personally and then a little about your business. Sure. Uh, a little bit about me personally. Um, I have uh, three daughters whom I love and a darling wife. Um, I enjoy, uh, what, enjoy hanging out with them. I have a 200-gallon saltwater fish tank as my little hobby. And, uh, that's, a yeah. big, that's a big hobby. It's a big hobby. Yeah, it's a, it's a big tank and a big hobby. But mostly I, I end up spending time doing things with and for my daughters. So <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I have time for is one thing, one little hobby. So that's a little bit about me. Um, my consulting work uh, is around usually with tech companies. Uh, and I do a lot of work with helping them improve their effectiveness and efficiency. Like you heard in the, the intro, that was quite an intro. <laughs> Thank you. Um, absolutely. But it's, but it's all true, right? I mean, uh, this, this is stuff I've done with, with people and it's, it's a fundamental shift in the way they approach work. And when you make that kind of a fundamental shift, you can see radical improvement like that. So that's what I do. Um, I take things, the traditional way of doing to, so just to get the 10,000 foot again of what agile is, is the traditional way of, of planning things is to, you know, to, to do some initial planning and then you do some architecture work and then you do some detailed design work and then you build whatever it is you're building. It might be a building, it might be software, it might be a car, whatever it is. You build whatever you're building and then you test it because you pull all the pieces that you built together and you test it and then you deploy it. You send it out there to the world. And the agile approach was developed in the... Mm, late 90s to early 2000s, and is really still growing in, in popularity. It's an approach that says, you know what, that kind of stuff really doesn't work anymore because technology is moving so fast that, that there are too many changes. Both there's, there's changes to the underlying technologies, there's changes to your customer needs, there's changes to what your, your competition is doing, you know, so if, if you remember back to 1979, um, that was the, the year that Sony came out with the Walkman. Uh, that was a huge, huge innovation, right? 
at that time in the in the late 70s uh, sound technology was all about getting bigger 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 right bigger speakers bigger stereo system bigger is better and sony came out with this tiny little walkman right that, that you could carry around with these little headphones that, not big headphones right big headphones were cool they had little headphones that you would wear and and that was a dramatic innovation at that point in time 70s the change cycle the innovation cycle for some another big innovation like that to happen was about nine years so they had about nine years before something big would happen again and in about nine years something big did happen and then as time went on that that innovation cycle has reduced and reduced and reduced in the early 2000s it was about a year and a half i think is what it was um, and nowadays we, we measure it in quarters or, or months, you know, three to six months. So if you want to stay on top of your market, you need to be innovating every three to six months, something big. And, and then you just can't do a traditional 18 to 24 month long project cycle in that kind of changing environment. So the agile approach says, you know what, we're gonna build things iteratively and incrementally we're gonna build a little tiny piece and get that out to our customers, get some feedback on it, and then adapt to that feedback. And we're able to, in that way, adapt quickly to the changing in the market. So that's, that's what I teach is that fundamentally different way of approaching your work and doing it in small bites. Right, and it seems like it really um, obviously applies to the tech industry, as we all know, that just gets faster and faster um, and is this point of view keeps spreading wider and wider beyond the tech industry is obviously as this pace of innovation picks up. I'm curious about your um, sort of your transformation or maybe your uh, discovery of this approach, because I'm assuming, um, you know, you've been at this game for quite a while. And uh, I also assume, but I don't know that you probably have a background in that waterfall world and did sort of have your own aha moment. I, I imagine uh, <laughs> when you came, when you discovered the agile approach and um, this nimble, as you call it, a nimble approach. So I'm curious about how that happened for you personally. Yeah, <laughs> That's a, uh, you want that story. Um, yeah. So it was about a decade ago um, for, for a decade before that, I was doing traditional waterfall projects. Um, in technology, I was, I've always been working in technology, but I was doing these sequential projects because, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you still could. They still had lots of opportunity for that. Um, so I was doing these traditional projects. I got this, this new project, and part of it was a, a rather large software component. I hadn't really done software before. At least not much and this I had the classic person on the team who was um, you know give me your status at the status meeting of the for the week and he said well I'm about you know 85% done okay great 85% done write that down next week he comes back well I'm about 90% done okay 90% write that down the next week he comes back oh I'm about 90% done when you were 90% last week well it's still about 90% okay 90% write it down and 90% again and 90% again and I'm getting worried, obviously, because it's not changing. And it's 90% done is not done. <laughs> um, and so eventually I decided, well, I need, to, I need to actually look at what he's doing. 
even though I'm not a coder, I haven't coded since my Commodore 64. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, you remember that thing. I do remember that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked at the code and even I could tell that it was crap. Pardon my language, but it was horrible. Um, it, it, he was writing things out that should have been in loops. He was writing it out sequentially. It, it was just a mess. It was a total mess. And so we actually had to let him go. He was a contractor. We let him go. We got somebody else to come in and finish it. And eventually they, they did finish it, but we were late and over budget and it was an abysmal failure. It was horrible. I felt horrible. The project wasn't, didn't do well, all those things. So I went, hey, you know, there's got to be, I was thinking to myself, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I started searching the, the internet, which remember folks, this was like, you know, a decade ago. So the internet had only been around for a while, <laughs> 10 years or so. Right. Um, so I started searching the internet and found this thing called Scrum that people were using for software development. It was, you know, working in small cycles. And so I thought I'd go take a class. There was one being taught over in Bellevue um, by some guy named Ken. And so I went and took the class. The guy, the Ken guy was one of the two guys who founded Scrum. His name was Ken Schwaber. And so I got to learn from the master of what it was. He was, he was doing a train the trainer. And so I just happened to get to, to learn from him. It's a fantastic class. One of the best classes I've ever had. Um, and in that I learned this whole, Hey, you know what? The primary measure of progress in a software project is working software. Because I, I was used to working with things that were physical, right? I, did, I had done network designs and I had done the, uh, the infrastructure, the cable and wire and pathways and spaces in construction, right? So there's you know, the technology, but it's the technology within the building. I knew exactly where that building was in process. I could see the holes that were being drilled in the concrete, right, to know that they were going to have wires pulled through it. You can see all that. Software is ephemeral. There's no way to know where you are in pro progress unless you're actually demonstrating it working software, which is a revolutionary idea. So uh, took that class, came back, and started using the principles with everything I did. And that was... Uh, a decade ago, and I haven't looked back since. So I've, I've led progressively larger projects. Uh, then I found myself leading programs where I would have multiple project managers under me on that. What I was doing in those cases was mostly helping them do the agile things better, which eventually I found out there was a name for that called coaching. So I decided in the, the midst of a of the uh, recession that was a good time to start my own business. <laughs> so I launched out and started my own business. And I've been doing that ever since then. I, I've been speaking on, on the topic for years before that even, uh, but that's, that was my, uh, that's my progress where my, my journey has been in that, uh, get it, getting, becoming an agile person through that process. Now we use it everywhere in our family even, right? We, we do our Saturday chores with Kanban. Johanna was, uh, Kanban is a, an agile process of uh, flowing work through a system in small pieces. When Johanna did her um, applications for college recently, she had to do four applications and 
portfolio submissions all in like two days. Um, not that she had delayed or anything, but uh, <laughs> and, she, and she was starting to get stressed out. And so we laid it all out in this Kanban and flowed the work and she could see it and could deal with it in small chunks. And we knew exactly where everything was in progress, making the invisible visible and, and working in small chunks is, is what it's all about. Right. So, so that's, that's amazing actually how, um, this discovery that you took from your professional life is then kind of bled out into, um, every other aspect of your life. I'm assuming, I mean, if it goes all the way to your teenage daughter's applications to, uh, to colleges, then it, uh, clearly is in there everywhere. Um, so, uh, that actually leads into my next question, which is, um, if this has become such an uh, integral part of your life, it's woven into your life, what kind of keeps you inspired and focused? I imagine you have a bunch of different quotes and go-to lines that kind of help, like I'm sure that you used helping Johanna. So what are some of the things that, um, quotes that keep you inspired and focused? Let's just start with that. Wow, quotes. Um, I'm sure that there's a ton and that's a, t that's a tough, uh, you know, wide open yeah, it, question. It, it, it's really a difficult question because there's, so many, I think I'd probably just quote different people than <laughs> trying to come up with what their quotes are. Right. Well, let's, uh, l well, let me help, let me help you narrow it down. Sort of uh, m a lot of my listeners, well, m my listeners here at New Strength, we're about transforming our bodies and our lives um, through, uh, well, many different ways, nutrition and fitness and um, faith and giving back. Um, and, uh, Goal setting is a big part of what we do here as a community. So how, what about um, goal setting for you? I, I know that, that uh, the, the contrast between, uh, let's say, goal setting the old school way and waterfall and this, you know, what did you say? It was a nine year cycle versus now it's, you know, 18 to 24 months. Oh, yeah. The, the iteration or the uh, innovation cycle was about nine years back in the 70s. Right, right. So uh, is there um, is there something that you keep in mind when you're talking about setting goals, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it really, it flows right back to the, the principles of agility, which, you know, one of the, the primary things is things are changing so fast that you don't know what you don't know. Right. And anybody who tells you they have a three to five year plan is well run the other way if you hear somebody say that, because they don't know what they're talking about. And it, it, I would be scared to uh, get involved with that person because they don't really have a grasp on how things are changing. So how would you, how then do you approach goal setting? I mean, cause it's an interesting problem, right? Because certainly, um, certainly some goals are very big, right? And would would require a certain amount of, or maybe it's a different type of goal setting, right? Because, um, I, you know, obviously I know you're not suggesting we just throw goal setting out the window. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's a tough concept, I think for people to get their, get their minds around. Yeah. It, well, it, you know, when I work with a company, I know that they're developing a piece of software or a piece of technology that th they have an idea of what they want to create. Um, but the question is, how are you going to create it? What are all the details to creating it? And like I, like I said, at the very beginning, the traditional way would have been to all right, we're going to define all the requirements up front. We're going to lock it in and then we're going to just deliver, you know, plan the work and work the plan was the phrase that we used to use. 
and you don't use that phrase anymore because there's too many things that are changing between now and the end of the road. And then the way I look at it is, is like, um, you know, when, a, when a plane were to take off from LAX headed for Hawaii, you could conceptually, I guess, plug in all of the weather data that, that is known about the trip between LA and, and Hawaii and calculate for the air pressure and the speed of the plane and the, the weight and the resistance and the breezes and whatever else they have to calculate the temperature because the, that affects the lift. And you could plug all that in and you'd still be wrong because you can't really predict the weather that well. So rather than trying to plug it all, and it would take forever to try and calculate, right? Rather than trying to plug it all in, they lay out a course and say, we're headed for this point out here. That's where we want to go. We don't really know exactly how we're going to get there, but we know it's that direction. So let's point the plane that direction and start going. And as we blow a little bit off course, we'll correct and come back and we'll blow a little bit off course and correct and come back. And we'll get there, but it's through a course of a million subtle corrections. You do the same thing when you're driving down the street, right? You, you get out of your, pull out of your driveway and you think you're driving down the street, but what you're really doing, if you pay attention to your hands, is you're making a million little micro corrections as you're going down the road. And as you turn a corner, you're making a million little tiny, tiny, tiny little currents. And you'll notice it when the road is slippery because you feel all those little movements that you make in a different way, right? You notice them because your attention is heightened. But you're, you're, as you're driving down the road, you're making a million little corrections to keep yourself centered on that road. And so we take a similar approach in an agile um, way to say, you know, uh, I, I, I know I want to get out there. I know I want to be fit, right? I know I want to develop a whatever piece of software but I don't know how to do it. I don't know what all the needs are gonna be all the way. So I'm going to, but I can see things that are close to me. So I'm going to make, make a little experiment. I'm gonna try something and I'm gonna move from here to there in, in a little bit of experiment, put a little, build a little something. And then once I'm there, I can make a new decision based on the information that I have from there. Just like that plane flying, right, every, mile or two miles or whatever it is. I don't know how often they correct, but every so often they have a, a recorrect and then they fly again, right? So you're, you're making a whole bunch of little jumps all in the right general direction. And as you, as you get closer to, to the next thing, that next thing becomes more clear. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. Actually, it's, and it's, it's such terrific advice actually for us in the world of fitness, right? Because, um, two reasons, and, and then I'll ask you another question, but, uh, two reasons, because, uh, for instance, if you're getting ready for a marathon, let's say you can go online and you can download your 12 week plan, let's say, or your 16 week plan and plug it into your calendar. And that's great. And that's a, that's a wonderful place to start. But, um, just like 
you know, the plane that's flying across country, um, things change, right? You miss a couple workouts or you get sick and you need to be able to, um, or, or you go on a business trip and you need to be able to, you know, not let that completely derail you. It's like, oh, I need to get a new goal. No, you don't need to get a new goal or, oh, I have to start from scratch. No, you don't have to do that either. Right. But you do need to, um, you just need to course correct, right? You need to revisit that plan and make some adjustments, which is why number one, it's important to have a coach if you can. Uh, and number two, it's also important to have that um, support group, that community that is also going through a similar kind of journey. Let's say if you're training for a marathon, it's great to have a, a partner that you're going through it with so you can bounce ideas off. It's just like, oh, you know, I missed this week, you know, and I still have this long run on my schedule for Sunday, um, you know, and uh, oftentimes the people that we're dealing with here in this program are go-getters type A kind of people. And we want to just like, okay, we're just going to jump in and I'm just going to, I'm still going to run my 18 miles, even though I've been sick for four days. It's like, that's not the best plan, right? Um, so to be able to have these other ways to revisit, um, to revisit our plans is, uh, super, super important. And I think really kind of, um, liberating actually in a way, right? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. You know, something, that we all need to learn and relearn and keep learning is that the F word in our, in, in West, particularly in Western society, is a very bad thing and we hate it. Failure, right? That F word, not the other one. <laughs> That's okay. That's it, a bad it, word too. But, <laughs> but the failure word is, is horrible. We, oh my God, I don't want to fail. I, you know, I'm a type A person. I have to be driven. I, and if I, if I missed my, my workout or if I built something that my customers don't want, then I failed. Well, no, you, you've learned, right? You, you take the opportunity to learn from that failure and then it's not a, not a bad thing, right? We need to learn to fail forward and, and fail fast. I, I would much rather fail fast than do a long whatever and fail at the end of it. So I want to learn quickly from small failures, try and limit my my failures. So if you've missed a workout, then limit your failure. Don't get all wrapped around the axle and, and wait, 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 wait. Get back on it. It's small ways. Right. Get back. Get back to your routine. Yes, absolutely. Yes. hundred percent behind that concept. So that obviously leads me to uh, an obvious question. Obvious, obvious. Um, do you have any anecdotes from your life of failures that you've been able to sort of fail fast and, uh, you know, use them to course correct and um, come back stronger? You know, I, I can I can tell a, a bad example of taking a year to decide, wait, I'm not I, I'm not doing my own thing. Right. For for a year, I, I had a, a mentor that I was working with and was listening to this person's advice and, it, and wasn't receiving benefit from it. Right. And I kept doing it and kept not getting benefit from it. And I wasn't failing forward. Right. I just was running back into the wall again. And at some point I decided, you know what, I have had enough of this. <laughs> I need to take my own advice and start failing forward. And, and I did that. And, and since then I, I've been running forward and, and doing small experiments and seeing what works and what works I keep doing and what doesn't I drop and moving forward again and moving forward again. So that's the example, but it's pretty vague. 
Actually, I, th I think it's a great example and super helpful because um, a lot of us find ourselves in that exact situation, right? Especially in our health and fitness. If we, um, you know, you hear stories or actually more often than, than not, it's um, a friend or an acquaintance that we hear a success, uh, a successful story from them. And we think, well, it worked for them, then it's going to work for me. And you try to replicate that very thing. And then we get stuck in, yeah. right? We're, we're sort of doggedly... Even though we may intellectually know this idea of failing forward and failing fast, we still, you know, we'll stick to an idea and it's like, well, I'm not trying hard enough or, you know, I'm not hustling hard enough or whatever it happens to not be. Not getting it or, you know, it's not, it, the, the, the problem I was having was I was trying to be him, trying to do his style rather than learning from what he had, right? Exactly. And, and his style is not my style and, and. It just doesn't work with for me or in my context. And so it's now having dropped that and having moved on to other things, it's, I, I'm doing way better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that that's an important takeaway, too, for our listeners, both on the business side and on the fitness side, uh, in that, um, you know, there is not one, there's never a one size fits all. Um, you know, and, you, and, and it's important to do this sort of the internal work of looking at what makes you tick. What's that thing that makes your heart sing and, and to go with that. Um, it's a big, you know, it's tough too. And, you know, and it's not a fine, one of the things that I've fell, fallen victim, victim to is that you do that internal work and you find that thing and then you stick with that thing doggedly, right? It's like, Oh, that's the thing that makes me sing. You know, it's like, well, you know, those things change over time too. They do. Yeah. You know, so so you got to kind of we have to collectively, right, like let ourselves off the hook and continue to revisit that. It's almost like having another meeting, right? It's like I got to schedule a meeting with myself to like sort of <laughs> see if this is working for me. Yeah. yeah. Another That's thing, and then I'll shut up and we'll move on. But uh, or if you want to jump in, too. But I just wanted to say this before I forgot that uh, it happens to us a lot of times when we're searching. Um, let's say we've been in a holding pattern and when we're trying to get fit again, right? And then we start searching around and there's so much information out there in the health and fitness world. And, and at one point or another, most of us just say, just tell me what to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> but as a fitness professional, in, in, in my experience, I, I can't do that for you, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a personal trainer and every single client that I have one-on-one -on -one is different. And the program that I'm putting together here at New Strength is attempting to replicate what I do with people one-on-one -on -one online. And that's why that's not a, you know, a, a plug and play. That's why it's not, it's like, okay, on Monday, everybody does this on Tuesday, everybody does this. Cause that just doesn't work. No, not at all. Good. So, uh, let's move on to something lighter and then we'll jump into your, um, awesome, awesome series of blog posts, um, about new year's resolutions. But I just wanted to quickly, before I forgot, ask you a couple of quick tips. Cause I know that you're got your finger on the pulse of tech, um, and you're always reading. So number one, do you have any tech that, uh, you just can't live without, um, that you could recommend to us? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. So I have my finger on the pulse of tech. Yes. My, my favorite piece of tech right now is, um, it's about three inches by three inches made out of paper <laughs> and sticky on the back of it. <laughs> I, I, I can't live without my sticky notes in, in all seriousness. I'm a bit of a Luddite. I, I, I collect fountain pens. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. Right. I, I really, I really think that we can get lost in too much tech. And when I, when I coach and, and consult with teams and companies, 
the first thing I want them to do is get everything on paper um, because it's, well, there's all kinds of reasons for that, but um, it's tactile, uh, it's visual, it is, it, you, you're able to both dive deep and go wide quickly with your eyes on something large or, or sticky notes on a wall kind of thing um, that you can't do on a computer screen. It just, it's not replicable unless you are using like massive screens with touch capabilities, then it's like, okay, why don't you just have paper? <laughs> Sticky notes are my thing. You know, I mean, that's, that's what we, what I have people use first. And when they have to, like, because they have remote teams or, you know, they're working, well, that's the, that's the reason when they've got remote teams or remote people, then you have to move to something that's online where you can collaborate that way. Um, but really I, I, I like paper. I, I want to work on paper first and then move to tech when you have to. That's great. That's a great tip. Actually. I think I'm a big believer in that as well. There's just something very different cognitively. I think is what, when you see that actually out in the, in the 2d world or the 3d world rather than the 2d world. Well, and, and part of the, the, the systems that I teach has to do with like, taking a, a simple sticky note, writing a, a, an outcome that you want on it and moving it from through three columns, right? One is ready, one is doing, and the other is done. So when we do our chores around the house, right, they'll do like wipe off the bathroom counter and they'll have a sticky note for it and the girls will pick that one up and they'll move it from ready to doing and then they'll go do the chore and they'll move it from doing to done. And there's actually studies that have shown that you get a little bink of endorphins Every time you move one of those sticky notes, there's a, like a sense of accomplishment and it feels good. And on my website, I have a couple of videos of the girls explaining it. This was like, you know, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that, a long time ago, them explaining. And they explained that. They said it feels so good to move the sticky notes. And, and, and I've actually, I've talked with customers too before that were like, yeah, sure it does, you know, whatever. But then they come back to me later and they're like, you know, it actually does feel good when I move that sticky note. It, hate to admit it, but it really, I felt like I really did something when I got to move it to done. You know? So there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. And it's not the same to move it on the computer screen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You hit, you get that dopamine hit, right? That's, yeah. that's what it is, right? It's the same thing that happens. We just talked about that uh, this week in our habits modules about um, the hit that we get when we uh, engage in these automatic behaviors, which is what keeps us, which just keeps us going throughout the day. Um, Okay. Awesome. Next quick question. Books. What are you reading? What are you reading right now? What are you finding oh, good? Um, you can just pick one. If I you, can't. if you can, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so in my, my morning quiet time, I'm using the circle maker, the pray the circle. Mm -hmm. Mark Batterson. Mark, Mark Batterson's 40 days of, of prayer circle. Um, going through that again. I don't know. My third or fourth time. Um, in work, uh, I, three books come to mind. Um, what Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, it's a fantastic book about the fact that, you know, it's actually kind of similar now that I think about it to what I was talking about, about when you, when you reach a point, you have to readjust and because you'll, your, your view of the goal is different because you have more information now. Um, it, what, what he's saying is, you know, a lot of managers make it to, or executives make it to a certain point 
and what got them to that point is exactly what's holding them back from going farther. Interesting. So it, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic book. And I've used it in, in coaching some folks and, and working with different people. And, uh, it, it's a powerful, powerful uh, book and powerful metaphor. So, so that's a really good one. The Power of Habit is a really good book. Yeah. I, yeah. We use that a bit a lot this week. Cool. Yeah. Charles, and the, Charles Duhigg, right? Or Duhigg. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Or however you pronounce it. I have no idea how you pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. I'll have to get him on the podcast. But it's really good. It's a really good book. Um, and, and a lot of those things are very similar to what he, he talks about in individuals and your individual habits. I have something in my book about uh, or creating organizational culture that's very similar to those, those processes that, that he talks about individual habits. And then the 10x rule by um, Grant Cardone is really good. Right. Those are a few things that are rattling around in my phone for I listen to my books. I'm dyslexic. So. Oh, you're the uh, you are all about the the audiobooks, yeah. Audiobooks, yes. Audible. That's me. I heard that um oh Angela Duckworth's new uh Grit, the book Grit is are you listening to that one too? No, I'm not right now. I heard just today one of my clients uh in uh, TRX class, she was saying that the audiobook is really great. She has a great um delivery style and, and the book itself is amazing. I've I've got about halfway through it and um I think you'd probably like that one too. It's it's a good read. I will I will order it right away. Excellent. Hey, and, and actually I'm gonna jump back into um what got you here won't get you there. That sounds really great, too. Yeah, Marshall Goldsmith. Speaking of really great, let's dive in before we run out of time. Let's dive into why I really wanted to get you on here in the first place, which is that awesome series of blog posts. So Joseph wrote this series of blog posts on his website. Check it out. I'll have the links uh, at the bottom here in the show notes. Uh, the series is called New Year's Resolutions Again. Do This Instead. So, um you know, obviously we can't, uh, I don't want you to hash out the whole thing, but I'm curious about number one, I'm curious about how, um, you decide what led you, what inspired you to write that. And, um, then maybe briefly, you know, obviously why and, and how it's working. Cause I'm curious that that's enough. That's, that's enough. So what led All you, right. what led you to write it and, um, how, how do you find it working out there in the world? Um, what led me to write it was new Year's, Uh, and <laughs> Every year, you know, people start talking about New Year's resolutions again, and it, the, the plane analogy came to mind. And actually, I opened the, the, the series of email or the series of blog posts with that analogy. And it, it just doesn't make sense to try and say, I'm going to figure it out. Right? I'm going to set myself a smart goal and then reach it. The problem with smart goals, I talked about it a little bit in the, in the blogs, but the problem with smart goals is if you're actually setting a, a real goal that is is worth reaching, it's a little bit outside your reach, and so you can't make it smart. You, you, it, you're not really sure if it's a attainable or are realistic. It's a little bit beyond that. You don't know how you're going to get there, especially today, right? When when everything's changing so stinking fast, you don't know what you don't know. So that's what inspired me to do it. Plus what I do, right? So I, I know that there's other ways. What we want is we want to have the outcome, right? We don't want necessarily to have a smart goal or to set a new year's resolution. We don't want to be, we don't want to be static. 
so many New Year's resolutions are, I am going to lose X amount of weight. Well, what does that mean? Are you going to suddenly freeze your body at that point and you're never going to go up or down or change your your strength or, you know, get older or what? What does that really mean? So what I want to talk about is I wanted to talk about what are your outcomes you're trying to get to and why do you want to get there? And so that I, I spend one of the whole days talking about defining your outcomes. And then I take a whole nother day and say, okay, pile on the whys. Because the whys are what are going to get you there. They're, they're what are going to make you or do or not do it. So that, you know, I spend a, a whole day talking about um, taking one of the goals that you've, or that you've identified as a thing, as an outcome that you want to get. I try and not use the word goal in the, in the whole thing because goal has this baggage. And so I start to talk about outcomes more. Um, but I talk about defining the what you want, the benefits that you want from it, right? And the things you want to avoid. But I also talk about the fact that you, you need to come up with enough of the what you want to avoid that it motivates you to avoid them, but not so many that that's all you're thinking about. Because just like when you're skiing, if you look at the tree, you will ski towards it. Or if you're driving and you see a biker on the side of the road, you will drive closer to that biker. Where you look is where you'll go. And, and that has to do with your brain and the way things, cognitive bias happens in your head. Like when, you, when you're going to buy a Volkswagen, a red Volkswagen Beetle, suddenly there's a million of them on the road, right? It's not because there's more Volkswagen Beetles, it's because you're paying attention to them. And now you've created a category in your brain called red Volkswagen Beetle, and now you see them. Where before they were just in the whole mishmash of cars. So you wanna create in your mind the, the, the category of outcome I want and, and focus on that and let the other things fall into the big category of other things. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, you, you know, you're talking about the reticular activating system, right? It's the, exactly that yeah. little that little part in our our brain that we that we light up when we um, when we have created that category, just like you said. Um, I think it's it's a really great thing to do. We spent a little bit of time on that in the program as well, talking about. Um, yeah, usually the thing that gets us in the door is the goal, right? I want to lose weight. I want to be strong. I want to have better abs. I want to look better, which are all great and perfectly valid um, goals to have. But um, we talk about trying to get beyond that into specifically outcomes. It's interesting we're using some of the similar terminology. And the outcomes um, being, you know, you want more energy, you want, uh, you know, and then of course the outcomes are so closely tied to why <laughs> that it's a, it's, it's hard to even separate them. But, um, when we then do that deep diving into those things, we come back then into the world of goals because a philosophy of new strength is that big goals that stretch you are what keep you accountable because, uh, a big part of the philosophy of new strength is that we train, we don't 
exercise, right? So the, the difference between training and exercise, um, being exercising, which is great. Exercise is absolutely wonderful. What it is, is a daily, um, physical activity that gets your heart rate going. Um, you, you engage in it because you like to do it and, um, and it's sort of a maintenance thing. But when we're training, training is in the service, that exercise in the service of a larger goal. And it's usually progressive and it's very well organized and it has a, a has a, um, a plan and a logic to each workout. For instance, when you're training, you know why you're training every day. It's not just to get my heart rate up and to, to maintain. It is like today I'm working on endurance or today I'm working on strength or today is a recovery day or today is a speed day. I don't do speed on my recovery days, things like that. So under- and you don't focus on what you're trying to avoid. Today I'm losing weight. Exactly. Oh, no, you're right. That's it. Say I'm not going to be fat. No, <laughs> that is absolutely right. I and mean, losing weight is the worst phrase in the world, actually. So you, you lost it. No one ever loses weight. <laughs> Where did that go? I put it somewhere here. I know <laughs> it's just it's one of the yeah, it's a phrase that it's like subconsciously or consciously it um, messes with our head. Right. So, yeah. So give us a little behind the scenes on what's happening for Joseph right now and maybe in the future, if you can, because I know that there's lots of stuff happening for you right now. There is a lot happening with me right now. Yeah. So when I work with a, a client and coaching them, um, we'll be we'll work through different areas of their life. Right. Uh, most of them have to do with their work. I am not a life coach. I am also not a, a, a counselor or psychologist or anything like that. So I, I deal with you at work um, and I help you set those outcomes you're trying to get towards and what are the experiments you're going to try and do along the way to get there to those goals. Um, and, and that's what we, we do on a, on a weekly or biweekly basis, depending on what your schedule and my schedule allow for. We'll, we'll meet, we'll talk about how it went during the week and as well as, you know, what do you want to address going forward? Sometimes we're very tactical. Sometimes we, you know, pop back up and are more strategic about the, the larger uh, approach, the larger goals that you're trying to get to the, the outcomes. Yeah, that's fantastic. What's um, so what's coming up next? What's happening this year? Is it uh, more uh, more one on one or more um, organizational level work? So there's two things that I'm working on right now. One is um, OK, there's three things that I'm working on right now. <laughs> One of them is I've had a lot of requests from agile coaches, other people who are doing what I've been doing for the past decade or so, requests from them to help them start their business, help them find their niche, help them do their marketing, help them you know, figure out not how do I coach, but how do I do the business of coaching? So uh, I've taken on a couple of those and that's exciting, fun work, you know, get to help people do the, do the same thing that I've been doing. I'm also developing a new approach to organizational transformation um, that comes out of my work with leaders and executives and really takes and places them at the center of the, the organizational transformation. Uh, traditionally in an agile transformation, right, where you're going from the, the, the old way of doing business, which is the 18 to 24 month projects to this new little increments of, of, product out quickly, normally what they do is, is we'll start and work with the teams, help them learn the skills and techniques, and then coach them through it, 
um, maybe work with the managers a little bit and get them going and help them understand their, their new role. Um, but mostly it's focusing on the teams and helping them get up and, and running and delivering. And what I want to do is come in and work with the managers, help them understand it first, and then help them teach it to the, the teams. Not me as the consultant coming in, but them as setting them up as the, the expert and authority on agility in their organization. That puts them in a, a, a role of expert and helps the organization not look to me as a consultant to be the expert to help them, but to look to the, the leadership that's already there. They're already leaders in the organization. Let them lead. So uh, that's, a, that's a radical change in an agile transformation because most agile coaches don't have a lot of use for managers. <laughs> they, they don't know, well, I, I would honestly say they don't know what to do with them, mostly because most agile coaches, not all of them, but a lot of them come from the, the development side of the house. They, they, they were developers. I was never a developer. I've always been in the management side of things. So, um, so that is happening. Uh, in addition to that, I'm doing something called flipping the classroom uh, in, with that process. So not only am I changing it from having the um, teaching the teams first and then teaching the managers, managers I'm switching it to um, flipping the classroom, which is if you were taking math when you and I were kids, right, the teacher stood in front of the class and taught you quadratic equations. And then you went home and you struggled through the assignment to try and figure out what the heck teacher was saying all during class. Because <laughs> I don't remember, I was half asleep because I'm a teenager. And now I'm trying to do the homework and I don't know what to do and I've got questions and there's nobody here to answer it. Flip the classroom is where I record a video of me teaching quadratic equations. You student watch that at home, take some notes on it and then come to class and do the assignment. Where when you get stuck, the teacher is there to help you. So I'm flipping the classroom for agile training, putting all of my training online. You'll do the training and then come to class do and do exercises and have discussion. And that's all that we will we'll do in class instead of having the me teaching the same thing over and over again. So that's a radical idea. Um, and then that makes it easier, you see, for the, the, the managers to teach the material because they don't have to teach they don't have to be the the authority figure who who has the experience of these methods and, and tools and techniques because I have that. They can now be the manager who's able to answer questions about how this applies here in their context. So that's what I'm doing. That sounds awesome because I would think that any manager out there listening to this would be like, I need to get my hands on that now because not only is it going to transform my organization, uh, it's going to do it much more quickly than the traditional route and much more sustainably, right? Because I'm going to be taking advantage, I'm going to be leveraging all of the, the, the structure and the existing, you know, for lack of a better word, the existing mojo that we got going for yeah. <laughs> whether whether it's good or whether it's bad, it, we're going to like then transform it rather than having to overlay some other system and expert and transformation process, um, which can just take so long. Yep, exactly. 
Yeah. That's fantastic. It, I love it. it. Keeps them in. It just keeps the system running. That's that's the big key. Right. Exactly. And you don't have to then like somehow. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything because you, you've, you've, <laughs> you've created it. You understand why it works. I, that's exciting. I'm so I'm ho- I hope I hope you all contact Joseph as soon as you can. Um, awesome, Joseph. That, we're just about out of time. So thank you, Joseph. Um, before we hop off, if there's anything else, parting piece of advice you want to leave or give yourself a plug where we can find you online or via social media, all that stuff. Um, go ahead and do it now and then we'll uh, say goodbye. Yeah, you can find me just about anywhere on social media. So um, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am an open networker on LinkedIn. So feel free to just send me a request. I will always accept them. And it's always just uh, your, your first and last name, both on social media and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff? Yep. Yep. The, my Twitter account is Joseph underscore Flahiff and, you know, at Joseph underscore Flahiff. Um, it'll be named Whitewater Projects, which is the name of my company. Um, you can go to www.josephflahiff.com or www.whitewaterprojects.com. They're the same site. So you find me with my name. Find him with his name, F like in Frank, L-A-H-I-double-F like in Frank. I can say that because we're brothers. I, I think, think every, you can. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody knows that that's listening to this. Um, if not, hey, we're brothers. Um, and Whitewater, I don't think we even mentioned it until now. So it's Whitewater yep. Projects, as in, you know, shooting the rapids, Whitewater. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. It's all one word, whitewaterprojects.com whitewaterprojects.com awesome so thank you so much joseph it's been great very um a lot of great value added and i hope that uh, all my listeners um, will have some good takeaways and uh, we can chat about it online on our facebook group um and uh, if you are not if you are coming to it from the business side um go ahead and uh, give joseph a call he is the man hey guys so what'd you think I think it went pretty well, right? What an amazing guy, right? Joseph is the real deal. And I'm not just saying that because he's my brother, people. He is the real deal. I just hope you're ready to really dive in this year. Take Joseph's advice, ditch those New Year's resolutions, and give some of the things he's got to say a shot. Check out that blog post or those four blog posts, and uh, you can check them out on whitewaterprojects.com or just go ahead and Google Joseph Flaif, F like in Frank, L-A-H-I, double F like in Frank. Said that all my life hard to forget. And uh, don't forget to pick up his book. You can get it on Amazon, Being Agile in a Waterfall World. I know some of those tips and tricks are going to find their way into the new strengths program. So keep your eyes out for that, people. And uh, that about covers it. Episode one is in the books. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Catch y'all next time.